Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Amos, Amos chapter 7. We're going to be looking at Amos 7, verses 10 through 17 today. Let's go ahead and uh, begin in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for your kindness to us, and we thank you that you are a God who redeems his children for the sake of your own name. We pray that you might get worship from us today that would be honoring to you, that would be done in spirit and in truth, and that you would be magnified. We pray that you might take our own hearts and that you would shape them to be more like Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. I ran across a picture this last week of uh, some signs that were hanging in the gym, in fact, signs that were plastered all over various locations in a gym. And uh, all of these signs were, um, in some way or another, uh, affirming of your body as you were going into the gym. And so some of the signs read this, all bodies are good bodies. My body is perfect just the way it is. I am feeling comfortable in my body, and so on and so forth. Now, if I don't, I don't know about you, but if I am going into a gym to work out, and there is a sign that says your body is perfect just the way that it is, I'm turning around and leaving because there's no reason for me to be there. (laughs) I have no purpose to go in that place if my body is perfect the way that I am. I turn around, I walk out, I go home, and my wife says, I thought you were going to the gym to work out. Well, my body, I learned from the gym that my body is perfect the way that it is, so I don't need to go there anymore. The whole reason that you go to the gym is because your physical body can be improved upon. You don't go there because you've arrived. You go there because you need to change in some form or fashion. My body is not perfect the way that it is now, and I am here at the gym to make it better. Now, this is, of course, I think, uh, an example and maybe even an analogy of the American church today. I mean, we hear about a gym that puts these kinds of signs up saying you're perfect just the way you are. And we kind of tilt our heads a little bit and say, what's going on there? The same is true of the American church today. What purpose does it serve any longer? Because you go to churches across our country, and there are churches meeting right now, this very moment, and there are pastors right now preaching and affirming that you are good just the way that you are. You see the parallel here? Then why am I here at church? What purpose does this serve anymore if I'm perfect the way that I am? Some of you may have heard some of the quotes. Uh, Joel Osteen has a book out called The Power of I Am, okay? Um, Let me just preface this in case anyone's confused at the beginning of this quote. This is, don't get this book, okay? (laughs) Here's what Joel Osteen says in this book. 
I am blessed, I am prosperous, I am successful, I am victorious, I am talented, I am creative, I am wise, I am healthy, I am in shape, I am energetic, I am happy, I am positive. It's not what the Bible says. And if that's your philosophy, then why go to church? Why go work out? Why go do anything? Because I'm perfect just the way that I am. Of course, there are many reasons why we come to church. We come to church because the Lord established the church and he commands us not to neglect the assembling of ourselves together. We come to church because we find encouragement here. We come to church because we worship God corporately. And we come to church in part because we need equipped to fight the sin that still resides in our own lives. In other words, we need to hear the hard truths. We need to cut out this fluff that has been imported into American Christianity that says you are wonderful just the way that you are. Yes, you're an image bearer of God and you're made in God's image and that is a wonderful thing, but we still have indwelling sin that needs to be killed. It needs to be mortified. And so we need to hear the things in Scripture that are very hard for us to hear. But all throughout history, efforts have been made to silence opposition, even the kind of opposition that is good and healthy for us. I need you all to speak into my life and tell me the hard things that I need to hear so that I can continue to mortify the sin that resides in my heart. You need to be made of the kind of material that is able to take the hard things. You need to be made of the kind of material where you can hear hard truths. You need to be made of the kind of stuff that does not recoil when you hear the hard lines laid down in Scripture. You need to cultivate that in your own heart so that you can hear that and not turn away from that because you need that. Amaziah is a man in scripture, in fact, in our passage in front of us today, who was not this kind of man. He was not a man who was equipped to hear the hard truths of scripture. He was not a man who was equipped to to, uh, respond uh, well to the hard truths and the hard lines that were drawn down from God's word. Amaziah was a man who rebuked the prophet Amos, for telling the truth and for telling Israel the hard things. And Amaziah attempted, as we will see in the passage today, to get Amos to abandon his post. These truths that you are telling us are too hard for us to hear. Leave, go home, get out of here, abandon your post. Amaziah was, of course, the priest of Bethel, And in today's passage, we see what happens when a religious leader rejects the word of the Lord, rebukes the Lord's spokesman, and only wants the easy things to be said, the smooth things to be said, and not the hard things. For this man, as we will see in this passage, judgment on him specifically is exponentially increased by the Lord which is a reminder to us to never oppose the word of God. 
we have a warning that was laid out for us in the New Testament. This warning is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. And we read this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. My encouragement to you today is, first, not to get sucked into this nonsense to begin with. But then secondly, to remain strong and faithful when people will encourage you to abandon your post. That you are to remain strong and to preach the word. Let's read the passage in front of us today. Amos 7, beginning in verse 10, we read this. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword. And Israel must go into exile away from this land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, flee, go away, go flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is a temple of the kingdom. And Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor the prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. I want to look at this passage today in two sections. I want to look at uh, verses 10 through 13, the call. This is the call coming from Amaziah for Amos to abandon his posts. And then we have, in verses 14 through 17, the resolve not to abandon his post on uh, Amos's part. The reality is, every single one of you in this room will be tested. In fact, every single one of you in this room right now has already undergone testing in your life to some degree. And the temptation and the test that I am specifically referring to is the one that is in front of the text, in our text in front of us, and that is you will be tempted to abandon your post. You will be tempted to stop preaching the gospel to people. You will be tempted to stop seeking to fight the own sin that resides inside of you, you will be tempted to abandon your post as a Christian in some form or fashion. And that test that happens, you will either win or you will lose that battle. We see in our passage today that Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, calls on Amos to abandon his post. Now, one of the things that we see in this passage is 
that the call to abandon your post is very clear and obvious and straightforward here. It is not always this clear and straightforward in our own lives. Sometimes it is. Sometimes people will say, stop doing that. And sometimes it will be something that's more of just kind of an unspoken pressure that is just thrust upon you. We read in the passage of this call to abandon his post, Amaziah, first of all, talks to the king Jeroboam. And he tells Jeroboam, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, now he's reporting to Jeroboam, Jeroboam shall die by the sword and Israel must go into exile away from his land. Now he transitions to talking directly to Amos. So he calls him, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Amaziah first goes to the king. He goes to Jeroboam, and he reports that Amos has conspired against him. And of course, this is a misrepresentation of what Amos actually had said. Amaziah is reacting, I think, primarily to the preceding verse, the last verse of last week's text. Amos reported that the religious center of Israel would be destroyed and that God would rise against Jeroboam's house with the sword. Now, Amos preaches not against Jeroboam specifically, but against his house. And Amaziah kind of tampers with this message a little bit to try to, presumably, provoke the king to action in some degree, some level. He's going to go to the king, and he wants the king to get rid of Amos. And so he's got to kind of exaggerate, fill some of the gaps in, and make the message appear as menacing to the king directly as he possibly can in order to get him to kick Amos out of the land. Amaziah specifically accuses Amos of conspiracy. And I find it interesting here that a common way to attempt to discredit a person's enemies is to call them conspirators, as we see in the passage here. Calling someone a conspirator or calling them a conspiracy theorist is a convenient way to avoid dealing with the facts of a situation. If someone presents certain facts to you, you could deal with those facts directly, which is harder, or you could just say conspirator and then write them off and move on. Of course, this does not mean that all quote-unquote conspiracy theorists are right all of the time, but it does mean that calling someone a conspirator is a tactic as old, at least as old as Amos. We see that here. In any event, Amaziah tells the king that Amos is conspiring against him, and thus he attempts to provoke the king to deal with this pesky prophet, get him out of our land. He misrepresents Amos in verse 11 by saying that Jeroboam would die by the sword, which Amos did not say. He also says that Israel will go into exile, but interestingly enough here, he only shares half of the message with the king. What was the other part of the message that Amos gave? This, this book of Amos was not only Israel will go into exile. This book was Israel will go into exile, therefore seek the Lord and live. And Amaziah conveniently leaves off this latter portion. He leaves off the portion of the message that said that there was hope for the people. And so he simply tries to provoke the king to get rid of 
Amos. Amaziah is, of course, unfair to Amos and his message. He does not represent the message that comes from the Lord himself in a faithful light. He doesn't give him, we might say, a fair shake. And so he turns now from the king, putting these false words into the king's ears, trying to provoke the king to action. And now he turns his gaze on Amos and he begins to address the prophet directly. And he says in verses 12 to 13 this, O seer, go. Flee away from the land of Judah. Eat bread over there. Prophesy over there. But never again come here and prophesy, for this is the king's sanctuary. It's a temple of the kingdom. In other words, he says, to put it in the vernacular, Amos, abandon your post. As I mentioned a few moments ago, rarely will calls to abandon your post be as plain and straightforward as this, although they will be from time to time. The calls to abandon your post will frequently sound more like this. Can you tone it down just a bit? You're too much of a legalist. You're going to push them away if you talk like that. Stop being so stuffy. Or as the messenger, you may recall, said to the prophet Micaiah, he said this, let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably to the king. Speak favorably to the people. Speak smooth words, not hard words. Speaking favorably to people is the constant temptation we will face to somehow blunt the word of God, to soften the portions of scripture that prick us, to make it more tolerable Easy to change the message just a little bit. The temptation is to avoid the hard truths. The temptation is to placate sinful man. And so Amaziah tells Amos to simply go back to Judah and preach there, but never again to preach at Bethel because this is the king's sanctuary. He employs political language to talk about the sanctuary, not religious language. But what we find out here in this particular passage is that Amos is made of something. He's made of some sturdy material. He's made of some hardy material. Amos is made of some material of the kind of stuff. He's made of the kind of stuff that is resolved to obey the Lord no matter what. It has no effect on me. God told me to do this. What are you? I'm going to go preach the message. I'm going to go preach the word. This commission comes from the Lord. Amos is made of the kind of stuff that is resolved to obey the Lord at all costs. When you are a child, you collapse on the floor when your mom gives you the red straw instead of the blue straw, right? 
something is so minor and it's just you're not made of anything that could withstand any kind of opposition. You just collapse to the floor. And I am sad to report that many adults don't make it past that very far. Look at our world. There are a lot of adults who have, have only made it one or two steps, if that, past that level. I, I, this, is, this, is not, this is not a mockery of those who are struggling to bring self-discipline into their lives. Okay? This is, that's not what this is. Okay? All of us are growing in our walk with Christ. And all of us are at different places. Some of us are just wrestling through bringing self-control and discipline into certain areas of our lives. And for that, I commend you and say, I will pray for you that the Lord might continue to give you the grace to grow in self-control. It's not what this is. This is simply a recognition that some people don't have this kind of uh, understanding and don't care to. It's just all about me. It's all about myself. It's all about I. It's all about what I want. No one can ever oppose me in any particular situation at all. As Christians, we have to cultivate a heart that wants to and desires to and is made out of the kind of stuff that is enduring and resilient and hearty and resolved to be faithful to God. I don't know what's left and what's right and what's going on and this and that, but I just am going to be faithful to the Lord and whatever he calls me to do. I might be ostracized for that, but I'm simply going to be faithful to God. And that is exactly what we see in Amos. We have a resolve on his part in verses 14 through 17 not to abandon his post. We see in verses 14 through 15 where Amos answers and says to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now, some of you will recognize that this is a passage that we get a particular expression that is employed uh, semi-frequently in, in our... Anyone ever said this before? I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, right? That's where this comes from, from this particular passage. We use that in a different way than it was intended here, right? When someone says, when, when you might say, uh, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but I predict that the market will crash in the next year, or whatever it is that you say, right? I'm not the prophet or a son of a prophet, but I think that that situation is going to turn out like that, right? That's kind of how people use this particular phrase or expression today. Um, you, you're, when, when, you, when someone says this today, you're kind of hedging your bet a little bit. You're saying, I don't have any, I'm not claiming any prophetic insight here. I'm not claiming that God has spoken to me, but... Just observing the facts, I think that it's pretty likely that this is going to happen. That's kind of how this phrase is used today. That's actually not the intention of, the passage, of how it's used in the passage here. What Amos is doing with this phrase is he is using it to confirm his calling to Amaziah. Here's what he's saying. Amaziah says, go back home. Abandon your post. Get out of here. 
And Amos is saying, look, Amaziah, I'm not in this for the money. I don't come from a line of prophets. It's, it's not like I have no real life skills and I just said, well, I'm going to pick being a prophet because that's the easy way. I could just talk to people and I don't have to learn how to use a shovel. It's, it's not that I am a prophet because of that. In fact, he says, I really was out there working in the fields, just minding my own business, when the Lord suddenly came to me and called me to be a prophet. You can be offended all you want that my words are too harsh, but I'm not making this up. I was completely content to remain where I was as a herdsman, as a dresser of sycamore figs, but I came to be a prophet in order to obey the divine call. Amazon, you can't say that I'm just one in a line of, of, of generation after generation after generation of prophet, and then I just happened to do this because my dad did it, and I was bored one day, so I just looked and tried to see what I could say to the people of Israel. This is a divine call. This is a call from the Lord. God really called me, and he commissioned me to do this. He took me out of my occupation and put me here, and he said, preach. And he said, that's what I'm doing. In other words, Amos says this, God has commissioned me, and you have no power to deny that commission or to tell me to abandon my post. Last time I checked, Amaziah, I'm not accountable to you. I'm accountable to God. And God called me to do this, to preach his word, and I'm going to preach the word. God has made Amos a prophet, in other words, by grace. Amos is a prophet by calling, by grace, not by merit, not by heritage, not by lineage, but he is a prophet by pure grace alone. And Amaziah cannot undo that. He cannot uncall Amos. Amos will not abandon his post. I am resolved to stand here because the Lord has called me to this. Now, to be sure, many Christians today will abandon their posts, but Amos would not. In fact, Amos doubles down. I mean, he could have just let this thing go. I'm just going to stay here and mind my business doesn't do that. Amaziah tries to get an advanced post. He says, I'm not going to abandon the post. And oh, by the way, Amaziah, God has a message for you specifically, for you directly. This is no longer just a general proclamation to the people of Israel, but this message is tailor-made by God for you. And this is the message that he gives beginning in verse 16. He says, Now therefore, hear the word of the Lord. This is Amos talking to Amaziah. You say to me, Amaziah, you tell me, do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, because you are opposing the word of the Lord in this way, therefore, because of what you have said, here's what God says. Your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. 
better for Amaziah if he would have just kept his mouth shut. Because now Amos turns his prophecy against him. Amaziah, through his pride and his arrogance, has, in the words of one commentator, drawn the lightning to his own head. This commentator writes, like one who would arrest the lightning, he draws it to his own head. Those who speak against the Lord and try to suppress his word uh, or to speak, uh, suppress those who are speaking on behalf of the Lord can be compared to a man who goes outside in a lightning storm and holds up a lightning rod. That's what those are like who oppose the word of the Lord and prevent others from hearing the word of the Lord. They invite divine judgment on their own heads. And so Amos says in verses 16 through 17, okay, you want to oppose the Lord? Now hear this. You who tell me not to preach. You who tell me to abandon my post. Guess what the Lord says about you? This is a hard one. I mean, this, is, this is scripture, okay? All scripture is inspired by God. Your wife is going to be a prostitute. It's hard to think of something more shameful than a woman because of the exile and the economic collapse around her is reduced to making a living through prostitution, and yet this is the Lord's judgment on her. This is what's going to happen to your wife because of your sinfulness. And he says, furthermore, that your land, Amaziah, is going to be divided up. He says, you are going to die. And he says, your children will also die. And Israel will go into exile. May we not be counted among those who fail to heed the word of the Lord. Don't abandon your post. Set your face like a flint. Isaiah 50 and verse 7 says this, But the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced, therefore I have set my face like a flint, and know that I shall not be put to shame. In other words, we need to be made of the kind of material, the kind of stuff that does not easily collapse under pressure. That when we preach the gospel to those who are dying, and we are opposed for that proclamation of the gospel that we don't immediately fold and go away because this is too hard. It is hard. I understand that. Perhaps we shy away from preaching the gospel because we reason that we want the gospel to, quote-unquote, come up naturally in conversation. I'm just going to wait until it comes up naturally in conversation. You may be waiting a long time for that. Or we may reason that uh, I don't want to do anything that could jeopardize or risk my relationship with this particular person. And preaching the gospel to them could jeopardize that. It could risk all of the relationship and fellowship that we have. And so I, I should not do that. Or perhaps we choose to 
silence ourselves because we want to take sides with the cool, unbelieving friend over your slightly awkward Christian friend. Uh, Yeah, he is kind of a little bit weird. He is run his mouth a little bit too much, so I'm not about that kind of stuff. Or perhaps you reason that if you share the gospel with your friend right now, then you will lose a future opportunity to preach the gospel to your friend. This one makes no sense because how are you going to preserve a future opportunity by compromising the one in front of your face right now? I have an opportunity today to take this and to, to, to share the word of the Lord with this particular person and preach the gospel to them. And if I do that, it might jeopardize my chance to do that in the future, so I'm not going to do that now. That doesn't make sense. You worry about the obedience, and you let the Lord worry about the opportunities. Just, you got an opportunity in front of you, so take that. Or perhaps you want to avoid causing offense or losing your job or appearing disagreeable. A.W. Tozer once said, this actually might be one of, it might be maybe second, second favorite A.W. Tozer quote ever. Um, This is uh, not very long. It's a little bit longer than, but... Focus on on, on what he's saying here. If Christianity is to receive a rejuvenation, it must be by means, other means, than any now being used. If the church in the second half of this century is to recover from the injuries she suffered in the first half, there must appear a new type of preacher. The proper ruler of the synagogue type will never do. Neither will the priestly type of man who carries out his duties, takes his pay, and asks no questions, nor the smooth-talking pastoral type who knows how to make all the Christian religion acceptable to everyone. All of these have been tried and found wanting. Another kind of religious leader must arise among us. He must be of the old prophet type, a man who has seen visions of God and has heard a voice from the throne. When he comes, and I pray, God, there will be not one but many, he will stand in flat contradiction to everything our smirking, smooth civilization holds dear. He will contradict, denounce, and protest in the name of God and will earn the hatred and opposition of a large segment of Christendom. Such a man is likely to be lean, rugged, blunt-spoken, and a little bit angry with the world. He will love Christ and the souls of men to the point of willingness to die for the glory of the one and the salvation of the other, but he will fear nothing that breathes with a mortal breath. The time has come for us to get with the program. This is not a game. I am not here to affirm you. I am here to tell you that you are sinners and you need to find refuge in a merciful God. And you are to take that same message and you are to proclaim it to everyone that the Lord gives you opportunity to proclaim that message to. This is not we come here and we dress up and we just do our thing and then we go home and have a nice life. Okay? 
This is life changing. When you signed up with Christianity, you signed up for the unpopular team. Okay? That's who we are. But the blessings and the riches of being in Christ far outweigh any earthly reward that we can have. The world wants you to abandon your post. Satan wants you to abandon your post. Many Christians today have abandoned their post. Steve Lawson once said, the problem with preachers today is that nobody wants to kill them. And the same can be said of Christians in general. The problem with Christians today is nobody wants to kill Christians anymore. Why? Because we've, 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 we've taken wholesale the message of the world, we've swallowed it, and we've just parroted that like mindless robots to everyone that we come across. Steve Lawson also said this, if there are people in your church who are in your ear urging you to tone it down by the grace of the Holy Spirit, do not listen to them. Instead, preach the full counsel of God in all that it says and affirms. Don't leave any of it out. Preach it to everyone. Preach the bad news, preach the good news, preach the hard truths, preach, preach the truths that you rejoice, preach the whole, all of it, the whole thing. I'm convinced that Satan's most, maybe not most, but maybe most, Satan's most successful strategy today in sidelining Christians is the fear of man. I think that this has far stronger of a grip on our souls than we think. The temptation and the allurement of the approval of man, the Amaziahs of the world come out and say, you're not being relevant, you're not being cool, you're not doing this, you've you got to do it this way, change this, soften this, tone this down, adjust this, da 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 That is a strong temptation. You will be tempted to keep your mouth shut in order to be relevant. And we see see this all over the pages of Scripture. I'm just going to give you a couple more of these. Isaiah 30, verses 9 through 10. We see that the people only want smooth things preached to them. Only preach to us smooth things For they are rebellious people, lying children, children are willing to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Preach to us the easy messages. Tell us that everything's going to just work out in the end, it's going to be fine. Affirm us in our delusions. Jeremiah 6 and verse 14, we see this. False prophets want to preach peace when there is no peace. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. It's a distortion of the word of God to preach to people that you are fine just the way you are. That's the, same, that's the equivalent of saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. You should be saying, there's judgment ahead. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
Also in Jeremiah, we see this insightful warning. Jeremiah 23, 17, false prophets are telling people, you realize how old this is? To follow their hearts. He tells people, if you follow your heart, you will be safe. That's what the false prophets are teaching. They say continually to those who despise the words of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly does what? Follows his own heart. They say, no disaster will come upon you. If you follow your heart, you will be safe and no disaster will come upon you. So please, follow your hearts. That message has been parroted so many times by every institution and every church in this country, I could vomit. Okay, it's garbage. Don't, what is Jeremiah, what does he say in Jeremiah 17? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Don't follow your heart. The call for us is quite simple. It is this. What is the passage teaching us today? Stay at your post. Don't leave the post. Don't leave the post by softening the word. Don't leave the post by changing the message. Don't leave the post by tampering with anything. We saw a few weeks ago, we asked the question, why does God choose all of these, these nobodies? I mean, Amos, herdsman, dresser of sycamore figs. <laughs> How are you qualified to, to be the prophet to Israel? Well, I, I dress sycamore figs and I, I take care of herds. Wow, not qualified. Why does God do this? What did we say? Because these people just deliver the mail. How do you not abandon your post? Just deliver the mail. Take the gospel to people, preach the certainty of God's judgment that's coming, and preach the grace and mercy and refuge that is available through Jesus Christ. Preaching the hard message doesn't end at the end of the hard part. There's a good part that comes after that. That was Amaziah's error, remember? He preached the king, Jeroboam, only the bad part and not the offer of hope. Okay? Preach the whole thing. I have two points of application today. The first one is this. Faithfully proclaim God's word to a lost and dying world even when you are tempted to abandon your post by the fear of man. Preaching is not the job only of the preacher. Every Christian has been commissioned to preach. It's what we call in the Bible the great what? The great commission. Matthew 28. Go therefore and preach the gospel to all nations. Right? So you have 
coworkers and family and neighbors and friends and on and on and on and on and on and on. People that I will never meet and never talk to. And the Lord has placed you in this particular time, in this particular year, in this particular place for this particular reason. To glorify Him through the proclamation of the gospel. Do not abandon your post because you fear man. Do not abandon your post because he or she will think I'm weird. Okay? That's the first point of application. The second one is um, kind of taken from the other side, and that is before you criticize someone for speaking God's word, remember Amaziah and that God takes seriously those who oppose his word. We may be tempted at times to join in with the ridicule of the unbeliever. (laughs) Yeah, they are kind of dumb for doing that. That's a serious thing. Remember the seriousness of the word of God. Lord, we thank you so much for the entirety of your word. All of us, myself included, we have, because of our own depravity, built into us a certain level of fear of man where we are tempted to say things and to do things that would be acceptable to the masses. And you have called us in your word to do the hard things. And so we pray for stability and endurance. We pray that as we saw in Isaiah 50, that we would have our faces like a flint. We would be made of the kind of material that is willing to stand for Christ, even if it costs us in significant ways, even if we lose friends and family and influence and popularity and status and all of those things. Let us not be encouraged to abandon our posts and compromise the word of God for simply the applause of man or any other reason. I pray that you might help us to be grace-filled Christians, that we can take this message of the gospel to those who are lost, and that we can take that message and give it in its entirety, that we can share the seriousness of judgment that is coming, but that we would also share the infinite, boundless mercy of God available through Jesus Christ, that He says there is a way to the Father through the Son, whereby we do not have to face your divine judgment. And we rejoice. In fact, we, we, we tremble while we rejoice, recognizing that Jesus Christ has taken all of the wrath of God onto himself so that we can be pardoned. And I pray that we would hide ourselves in Christ like we might hide ourselves, as the song says, in the cleft of the rock. We would hide ourselves in Christ as, as it is a sufficient refuge for our souls. 
and that through that you would give us joy, encouragement, consolation. That you would increase our faith, that we would grow in our belief that the word of God is true, and that we would grow in our ability to understand it, to proclaim it, to apply its healing balm to our own souls and the souls of those around us. I pray for our households, that you would help the fathers here to lead their homes in applying this healing balm to the hearts and souls of their wives and their children, and then that you would help the wives to to apply this healing balm to their own souls and to the souls of their children. The children would apply this to their own souls and to one another, and then that these households would grow in strength and grow in faith and grow in righteousness and then go and do this and multiply this in our community and in our world. I pray that we would not be compromisers like Amaziah who ourselves abandon our posts and encourage others to abandon theirs. I pray that you would make us ultimately like Jesus Christ and in the ways that Amos reflected that, that we would be like Amos in those ways. Help us to have resolve, help us to have steadfastness, help us to have courage Make us into the kind of men and women that glorify you more and more. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.